We're going to talk about the, the church in Philadelphia. Now, I'm not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay? This has nothing to do with that. This is Philadelphia in one of the seven churches of Asia that this series is, is spending some time unpacking and understanding. There's a great message here for us in 2019, even though this was a message that Jesus gave to this church in Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is about 25 miles southeast of Sardis. And as you can see on the map, the, what happens is the, the churches in Asia start in Ephesus. And then there is a trade route that runs through all of these seven churches back down to Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is about, as I said, 25 miles southeast of Sardis on a trade route. Many called it the gateway to Asia. The gateway to Asia, set up on a hill over a fertile valley. It was wine country. And because it was wine country, the, the city had, a, had become very, very much a part of the, the worship of Dionysius, which was the god of wine. So this was a part of their culture. In 17 AD, there was a very large earthquake that destroyed the city. And over the next 20 years, it was built right on a fault line. And so over the next 20 years, there were serious earthquakes and serious aftershocks that kept the city in a constant state of rebuilding. There was always something falling down, and there was always something being rebuilt. That was, sorry, that was Philadelphia. In 150 BC, a man by the name of Attalus II, he's the one who founded the city. He was known for really two things. One, the founding of the city, and the second was how much he loved his brother, and out of that, he named the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So that's how, now a church has developed in this city, and Jesus writes them a very specific and powerful and encouraging message. Another interesting little fact is of, this, of the seven churches of Asia, only two of them did not receive any condemnation. This is one of them, and Smyrna being the other. It is still in existence today. It is the modern city of Alasir, Turkey. And there is still a Christian community in this portion of Turkey, which is significant. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse number 7. It's in your notes for you. It's also on the screen. Take a look at it with me, if you would. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of a synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also... Write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Speak life to us and encouragement today in Jesus' name. Amen. The description of Jesus that he speaks of himself is really threefold. The first part of this description 
is that Jesus says it this way, he's holy. The one who is holy, the one who is holy. When you talk about the holiness of Jesus, what does it mean? It means that he's separate from creation. It means there's absolutely no contamination or corruption whatsoever in him. Now, why is that important? Because there's at least two implications from this. I'm sure there's more, but we're going to talk about two implications. The first is this, is that Jesus becomes, because he is holy, is the perfect sacrifice for sin. Every one of us here this morning, and every person who has ever lived, the scriptures would just declare this truth. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All have sinned. But there is a sacrifice for sin made available to us through Christ. Now this goes back, you have to do a little bit of history, and you go back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a system to take care of sin. And it was every year, people would do what? They would find a spotless, pure, unblemished lamb. In other words, a perfect lamb for the sacrifice. Now it's interesting, in John, in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is getting ready to baptize Jesus, and Jesus is approaching him, and John says this, he makes this declaration, look, there comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect Lamb. So there's, there, there is this perfection resident in him as our sacrifice, and what is so amazing, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He is the only one who can provide for us our salvation, who can make us right in the eyes of God. No one else can, only Jesus. His holiness assures us that he is the perfect sacrifice once for all time for sin. Hebrews chapter number 10 says, for God's will was for us to be made holy. You see that? We are made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. What? For all once for all time. He is the perfect sacrifice for sin. And in His holiness and in His sacrifice for us, removing our sin permanently, we can then become holy through His sacrifice. And that's the second implication. Jesus is the perfect example of how to live. Jesus lived separate from the corruption and the contamination of the world. And let me just say, so can we. So can we. Because he is in us. He has made us holy through his sacrifice. First Peter chapter 1 says, Obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that we had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now understand this. In ourselves, in our own works, in our own goodness, we cannot be holy, but he makes us holy. He is the one who is able to bring holiness and make holiness a possibility of our lives. So once again, there's an incredible challenge to be holy as he is holy. So I'm going to ask this question, and I'll ask it a number of times during the course of the morning, but I'll ask the question now, how are we doing with this? How are we doing with the whole holiness thing? Are we living separate from the, the, can we just say it this way? The contaminants of our world, I will tell you, there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of it. How are, we How are we doing with this? Are we living lives of holiness as Christ has made us holy through what he has done? We can find the power, the strength, and the victory to live a holy life because he is holy. He's also said that he is true. 
is true. I, I really love that phrase. I hope you have never had this occasion to sit on a witness stand or to be deposed for whatever, for whatever reason. But if you have, if you've been on a witness stand or been deposed, you're going to be asked this question. Do you swear, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Now I would tell you something, that's humbling. You realize that when you're saying it, if you don't do that, you're going to get in trouble. Things aren't going to go particularly well for you. This whole truth thing, it means that your word is reliable. It means that your word is trustworthy. It means that you can be depended upon. Now think of it in the context of Jesus being holy, set apart from all the contaminants and corruption of the world. He is holy and he is true. So he's dependable. You can rely upon him. You and I can put our trust in Jesus. Oh, that is so encouraging to me. That I can put my trust in him without hesitation. Now, I enjoy science fiction. I read some. I don't read a lot of science fiction, but I watch science fiction, and I love it. And here's something I've discovered. And it's not just for science fiction. It's a lot of film today. It's both film and TV. Some things you're going to discover. It's becoming more and more difficult to discern what is real from what is CGI. CGI, computer graphic imaging. It is very, it's becoming more and more difficult to know is that real or is that computer generated? It's difficult to know. But I want to tell you something. In a world in which things are becoming more and more difficult to know what is true and what is not true, we can put our trust and our confidence in one who is holy and true. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your family. I'm grateful for that. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 6 tells us. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received, listen to this, so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Let me just stop for a moment. A moment ago we sang, no matter what, the love of God is going to prevail over your life. Understand he will never change his mind about you. He loves you now as much as he ever has and he ever will. He'll never change his mind about you. Never. It's an amazing promise. You see, we can be perfectly sure And he goes on, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things, ready for this? These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, we who have fled to him for refuge. Oh, I love this. Can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Because he is holy, because he is true, we can flee to him and he will receive us. He will love us always, as saying he will never change his mind about us. Well, so when you see Jesus is holy and Jesus is true, you can depend upon him. Put your trust and your confidence in him. Thirdly, he's holy, he's true, but he's also sovereign. 
You say, okay, I, we see holy and true in the text, but where's sovereign? You'll notice in the text it says this. He's the one who holds the key of David in his hand. Now, I've got keys in my pocket. And here's what I've learned about keys. Keys open doors. Keys also mean that you have responsibility and you're accountable for certain things. I want less keys because it makes me less accountable for more stuff, I guess you could say. When, when it's spoken of that he holds the key of David, it is a, it's a statement of authority. It is, just, it is describing him as the position of highest authority. As such, Jesus determines, and hear this, Jesus is the only one who determines who enters his house and who may not. He opens, he opens and he shuts doors at his discretion. No one can shut what he has opened or pry loose what he has closed. It means that Jesus, hear this, has control over all things, life and death, heaven and hell, everything, all things are in his grasp. He's the one that's in charge. Sovereign. He's sovereign over my life. He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over our church. And and I would just say and ask this question, are you searching for direction in life? Understand, Jesus will open doors and he'll shut doors. He will direct your path. If you trust in him, he he will direct your path. I love how Isaiah characterized Isaiah 30, verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice saying, this is the road, follow it. He is the one who opens doors. He is the one who shuts doors. He is the one who will direct our paths. Now remember, he is holy. He's separate from creation. No contamination or corruption is in him at all. He is true, so we can trust him. And he is sovereign. He's in control of all things. What an incredible description of Jesus to this particular church, not just to Philadelphia, but to us. Second part of this message this morning is the commendations that are given to Philadelphia. And there are at least five of them here, and I want to talk about those for a moment. You know, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Now, when I hear that phrase, there's always usually a second question that's a follow-up. I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which one do you want first? Now for me, I always take the bad news. Here's the reason. I want to get the bad news out of the way so I can get down to the good stuff. I want to focus on the good stuff. So here, what's amazing about Philadelphia, Philadelphia has no bad news. It's all good news. Only one of two churches of the seven that received no correction needed But what are the commendations? What does Jesus commend them for? The first one is he commends them for having confident trust. Confident trust. It is really significant to me that as Jesus begins this message to the church, specifically now the commendations, he says this, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I want you to think about that for a moment. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Here is a church that's probably not a particularly big congregation of people in a hostile environment. And Jesus says to them, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, this this tells me that Jesus is commending them because he trusts them. 
He trusts them with what they are doing, who they are, their personalities, their their care for one another, the, the, the investment they are making in that particular community. They have done well to this point. And, I, and he is saying, I believe that you're going to continue to do well. This is an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philadelphia to be proclaimed. For the message of Jesus to be known and to be declared. For the goodness of God to be expressed to those in that community. Someone remarked, and I want you to hear this because it is powerful. There is nothing more expensive than a missed opportunity. Nothing more expensive than a missed opportunity. I realize that's probably in the context of business or maybe the stock market. Think about that for a moment. Oh, you know, I had this stock tip. If I'd have just thrown 100 bucks at it, I'd have made $10 million. That's an expensive miss, isn't it? That's an expensive miss this side of eternity, but but consider this. Consider this. Eternity is even a greater miss. If we have an opportunity to share the goodness of God with someone else, and we fail to do so. That's That's a miss that could affect their eternal destiny. Just as I was laying on a table having physical therapy and, some, and this young lady asked me a question, I had an opportunity at that moment. What was I going to express? God gave me an opportunity to express something in my heart. I'm grateful and I am, I'm absolutely sure I've missed one or two along the, along the way. I get that. But I don't want to miss opportunities when they're presented to me. And I believe that we are coming up on a season in which there's an opportunity for us to share the good news of Christ in our lives, and it's called Easter. That's why these cards have been been prepared. But not just the cards, whether it's social media, whether it's family members who are disconnected from faith, maybe it's a neighbor who just moved into into your neighborhood who's looking for a place to connect. These are opportunities, and we can pray from this moment forward, God, give us opportunities to share the good news of Christ, because once again, there is nothing more expensive than a missed opportunity. That missed opportunity is not only in us, but it's also in those who would receive an invitation, or or a kind word, or, or sharing the good news of Christ, or a cup of water in the name of Christ. An opportunity, an opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, so be very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. I mean that you should use every opportunity you have for doing good because these are evil times. You see, there's a big difference. There's a big difference in seeing an opportunity and seizing an opportunity. Jim Moore makes that statement very clear. There's a big difference between seeing an opportunity and seizing an opportunity. I don't want to just see an opportunity. It's one thing to say, oh, there it is, but to grab a hold of it. And you say, well, Pastor Gary, I I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. That's what this is for. Just to say, come along with me. Or maybe you see that same graphic in social media. Just hit the share button, and it goes to every person that's on your friend list. Do the same with Instagram. Whatever social media platforms you have, these are ways that we can begin to leverage the opportunities that we have. 
The second thing that they're commended for is their godly dependence. Jesus says of them, he says, you have little strength. He not only says it, he says, I know you have little strength. Now here's a phrase, I don't have it available for you, but you might want to write it down because I believe it to be true. Little strength is a big asset. Little strength is a big asset. You say, how in the world is that a big asset? Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 12. He says, my grace is always more than enough for you. This is what Jesus said to him. And my power finds its full expression through your, what? Weakness. He goes on. Paul says, so I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but I'm delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. Now listen to this last phrase. My weakness becomes a portal to God's power. You see, Jesus recognizes the church in Philadelphia and says, I know you have little strength, but he commends them for that. It is a strength when we are dependent upon God. All of us in this room are very quick to depend upon our own resources, our own education, our own experiences. We can do all of this. We can do it. But in reality, we desperately need to be weak in the sight of God so his power is made strong within us. Our weakness recognized becomes a portal to the power of God unleashed in our life. I need to be weak because when I am weak, I am strong in Christ. Pray that that would be all of our hopes, prayers, and pursuits. The third thing that he is there commended for is being biblically faithful. Being biblically faithful. They've kept the word, Jesus says. Now, I'm just, I'll just say it this way. Beginning of this year, talked about how important being a person of the word is. Week after week after week, I continue to, to speak to this particular issue. I want us to understand being a person of God's word is absolutely essential. You ready for this? It is essential for keeping the doors open. You see, for us, I need to take opportunities. It'll keep the doors open. You see, when I'm dependent upon God, it keeps the doors open. What did Jesus say to them? I have opened a door before you that no one can shut. He is the only one who opens doors and he is the only one who closes doors. And I want to be a church. I want us to be a church that the doors always remain open. That means we remain biblically faithful. We remain committed and rooted in the scriptures. If we divert from being a person of God's word, I will suggest, I will say, those doors will close. The opportunities for us to make an impact in our valley will absolutely diminish when we are no longer people of the Word. The Word of God is our life. It is how we, it's how we live and it is what we do. It is who we are. We are to be people of the Word of God. They were biblically faithful and they were commended for it. You have been born again, Peter says. 1 Peter 1. And this new life did not come from something that dies, but from something that cannot die. 
You were born again through God's living message, hear this, that continues forever. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you came to faith because of the living, powerful, active Word of God. That is what has changed our lives. And we are to remain biblically faithful. As we do, Jesus will commend us. And I would also say, not only will He commend us individually, He will commend us collectively as a church, and those doors will stay open always. That's my prayer. It's my prayer. We must remain rooted in the Christian Scriptures. You see, God's Word protects us from that which is false. It's the power of God's Word that equips us to live the godly life. It is, it is the commitment to God's Word that sustains us in the moments of struggle. We, like Philadelphia, must remain biblically faithful. The fourth commendation was there was no denial they didn't deny the name of Jesus. Now, one of the commonalities in each of the seven churches in Asia was this tension between Christ as Lord and Caesar as Lord. So there's a tension going on. And in the midst of that, there's a lot of other opposition that is hitting them from all different sides. But yet they have remained true to his name. I, I love that that thought, to remain true to his name. And I have to ask myself this question. How am I doing with that? Now I'll ask all of us, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with remaining true to the name of Jesus? I'm not suggesting that we would go out and just say, I deny Jesus. No, but do we, do we when we have opportunities, do we move around the issue, do, or do we go straight to the heart? When we're asked, what makes a marriage work? Do we say something along the lines, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of time together, and that's true. It's, oh, it's this, it's that. Or is the core, is the core Christ in our lives? And for those of us who are Christ followers, that's, that's the core. It's Christ in our lives first. All the others are good, but it's Christ. It's Christ. I wonder in the face of temptation and opposition and trials of every kind, are we standing fast in the faith? They were, and they were commended for it. They were commended for it. They had a good reputation in Philadelphia for remaining true to Jesus. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 38 says, The people who live now are living in a sinful and evil time. That we could all say, Yeah, we understand that, us too. If people are ashamed of me and my teaching, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes with His Father's glory with the holy angels. Can we just be honest for a second? That's hard to read. None of us, none of us really, we don't want that to apply to us. We want to, be, we want to be true to the name of Jesus. We never want to be in a situation where we would deny His name. And the fifth commendation is patient endurance. Patient endurance. A number of years ago, we found ourselves at 4 a.m. in the emergency room in Kaiser in San Diego. Our uh, daughter had a very severe case of food poisoning. And so we ended up in the emergency room. And, you know, can I just tell you, any visit to the emergency room at any time of the day or night is an exercise in endurance. Okay? Can we just, really? I mean, that's what it, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it can be from the most minor thing to the most serious thing. It is, in, it is endurance 101, 201, 301, all of it. It's just 
amazing. But here's something that I, I've discovered, and you probably have as well. You go to the emergency room, and you endure. Eventually, you get treated. Eventually. But it requires patience. And most of us are just not all, can we just be honest? We're not all that patient when it comes to that. I understand that. I'm not either. But if you're patient and you endure, there's going to be treatment. Now, maybe that's a poor illustration, but the truth is there are all kinds of difficulties and challenges the Philadelphians have faced. There are all kinds of challenges and difficulties you and I are facing, and we are called to patient endurance, and Jesus commends them for patiently enduring the challenges they're facing. That's powerful. But I would say this. The more intense the situation we face, I think we're less likely to be patient. I am. But we're called to patient endurance. So I would ask once again, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Now, can I caution you? If you're going to pray for patience, watch out. Just a word of advice. That's free today. Absolutely free. Because I'm telling you, you pray for patience, it's going to come at you from every side. And we'll see how we do with that. Uh, here's, but here's the thing. I, f- I fear that our first world problems that we look at as having to endure and be patient, it's like traffic. Oh, that's a first world issue. Uh, our latte, my latte is taking too long. Oh, or, or the barking dogs next door that never stop. Ever stop. Ever. Could I say they don't stop barking? I'm not sure that's what Jesus is commending them for. I'm not saying it's not. We need to be patient in all circumstances. I get it. But you see, it's when the whole world flips against you. And life comes unraveled. When there are intensities that you're facing that you weren't prepared for, it's at that moment are we enduring patiently. Because you see, that's what was happening in the lives of the Philadelphians. They were being ridiculed. They were weak. There weren't many of them. And even people they thought should have been like an ally, like this synagogue of Satan, Jews that would have at least some context of faith, they're standing up against them. It just seems like the whole world is falling in. Has it ever happened to you? One thing happens, you think, okay, I can handle that. But then the second one hits you. Then the third. Then the fourth. And everything piles on. And then the people you most trust, they pile on. And you go, what just happened to my life? And in those occasions, we are called to patiently endure. Wow. How do we do that? We do that in our little strength, in our weakness, because Jesus becomes strong, and he empowers us to live patiently. You see, Romans chapter 12 says it so well. Be joyful in hope. Patient in what? Cold lattes, traffic, dogs. Some of you are saying, you don't understand. My cold latte is an affliction. You don't get it. No, in affliction. Patient 
in affliction, and I love the last one, and what? Faithful in prayer. Lastly, there's a reward for overcoming. There's a reward. As in each of these seven churches, Jesus gives a reward. He says this, whether it's before the reward or after. He says, he who has ears, they who, if you have ears, hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I would just say that this morning. Open our ears to what God is saying to church at Philadelphia, but also be encouraged by the reward. The first is their adversaries were humbled. You say, how is that a reward? Well, the synagogue of Satan, Jesus mentions, they, they're ridiculing, they're bringing opposition against the church. And Jesus said, I'm going to make them bow down before you and just declare that I love you. They're going to acknowledge that, that I love you. And that's significant. Significant. Because just as I said a minute ago, sometimes it just feels like the whole world's against you. And you look at this, and, and we might be inclined, we might be inclined when, the, when we thought allies or friends or something, they just seem to pile on, we just might say, oh God, could you just take care of them for me? Get them, God. Or when you see this, you go, oh, that's exactly what God's doing. He's going to get them. Get them. Oh, pour it on. God, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He is simply saying, or he's acknowledging this fact. He trusts them that this isn't about revenge. He can trust them with that kind of, that reward. Because he knows that their spirits, their attitudes will be right. You see, they would be grateful to Jesus for having their backs. It's nice to know that when troubles come, Jesus is there. He is our defender. He stands up for us. What a reward to know that Jesus is there for us. Romans 12 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, you're going to love this. If your enemies are hungry, oh boy, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Really? Do I have to do that? In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil Conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. By doing good. Jesus says, your adversaries will be humbled. But it's also important to know, while they will bow down in front, it is also really important. Philippians chapter number 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a time when everyone will kneel before Christ and declare that He is Lord. Second part of the reward is maximum protection. Jesus makes the statement, He says, I will, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth. What He is referencing, and we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks as we conclude this series. The message title that day is Escapology. We're going to talk about really the second coming of Christ, what, what all of this is leading towards, and some unpacking of that. But it's important to know what Jesus is referencing is what we call the Great Tribulation. It is a seven-year period of time that is, and you have to just hear this, of devastating divine judgment upon this earth. It is the wrath of God outpoured for for disobedience and for walking away from God's, God's opportunity of life. 
you say, man, that's, that's intense. It is. But why is it a reward? It's because the people of God, he says, I will keep you from this. You see, there is protection over the most difficult things within our lives. And the things that are coming our way as a, as a planet, I want to tell you, there is protection for us who know Christ. And so I would just say, how do we miss? How do we miss out on the awful expression of the divine judgment of God? Here it is. Know Jesus. Know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you will not face the wrath of God. You will face only the mercy and the acceptance of God. He will protect us from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole earth. First Thessalonians 5 says, For God has not chosen to pour out His anger upon us, but to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we can live with Him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of His return. Hallelujah. We're not here to suffer wrath, but rather to, res- to be saved by what Christ has provided for us. So I would just say, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you right with God? And just for just a second, it's not about knowing about him. It's not about church attendance. It's not about having memorized the scripture when you were in Sunday school as a kid. Those are good things. But it's about confessing him as Savior and declaring him as the Lord of your life. Without the confession as Savior and without the declaration of his control over your life as Him being the Lord, there is no other way to escape the wrath of God. You say, golly, Gary, that's intense. It is intense. But I want to go back to a phrase I said a few moments ago. There is nothing more expensive than a missed opportunity. Today, the Holy Spirit is giving you an opportunity, if you do not know Christ, to make things right with God and come into the full and free, complete salvation that is found in Jesus and in no one else and be absolutely assured of your eternal destiny. That's today. That's an opportunity. He's presenting it to us this morning. And then finally... Eternally secured. That is an incredible reward. And he does it in three different ways. He said, I'm going to take you little strength and I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. That new Jerusalem is coming. I'm going to make you a pillar, something upon which is strong and firm and secure. He says, and not only that, I'm going to write God's name on it and I'm going to write my new name on it. You are three times secured eternally. So, what a powerful reward available to all of us, not just to the Philadelphians, but to you and I. If we have ears to hear. It's my prayer that we do. So I want to revisit the phrase we did a few moments ago that says God will supply the opportunity, but it's up to us to do something about it. It is my hope, and I'm going to come down out of the lights for just a moment. We're going to take communion in just a minute or two. Well, you look better down here. I can see you now. It just feels better. It is my hope, my prayer, and desire as your pastor is that those doors always stay open. That God puts before us a door that no one can shut. We have an opportunity 
a church to be a church that God opens a door that no one can shut. And it's my hope that we are always that. I believe we are. But I never want that to change. I want those doors to be wider than ever. And you see, God's the one who opens it. And I believe what we learn from Philadelphia is the following. God has opened our doors. Let's do those things that never prevent them from being shut. Let's be dependent upon God. Not our strength. Can I just tell you, your strength and my strength will fail us, but God's never will. I'm strong when I'm weak because I'm depending upon the strength of God. Second thought is remain biblically faithful. Can I just say it again? I know I've said it a dozen times since the beginning of the year or more, and I'll continue to do it. We must be people of the Word of God. This is our life. Those doors will remain open as we are committed and rooted in the Word of God. Philadelphia was. Let's not deny his name. Paul said it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Never be ashamed of what Jesus has done in your life. You say, but Pastor Gary, I don't know how to share it. Just live your life in a way where people know you ready? Jesus is holy. Be holy as he is holy. And something's going to happen to your family and to your friends. They're going to say there's something different about them. What is it? And it's at that moment that's the opportunity that God has given you. And you step through that and say it's because of Jesus. I may not be able to explain it all, but it's Jesus. I encourage us to patiently endure. You have friends and you have family. You have neighbors, you have co-workers whose lives are upside down. They're struggling. They don't know what's going to happen next. And they see you walk through similar circumstance and they see you walk with a head held high. They say, I don't get it. How can you do it? It's because of Jesus. Because in my own strength, I can't do it. But when I am weak, He is strong in me. When they walk through this door, they see a congregation of people who love each other and are patiently enduring the challenges of life. I want to tell you that's appealing. That speaks volumes to a world that's gone sideways. And I'm going to add one more. Be welcoming. Let us be welcoming to all. Let those doors swing wide open. And regardless of who walks through that door, let us love them with an everlasting love of Jesus. 
Let us go outside of ourselves and embrace and care for and walk with them and point them to Jesus. Not me, not us, but to Jesus. When Jesus is lifted up, all will come to him. I want those doors, figuratively speaking, to always remain open. And for us, just as Philadelphia, where Jesus would say to us, I have placed an open door that no one can shut. Let it be said of us. A Crossroads Church is that church. It begins with every one of us. Be dependent upon God. Be faithful to Scripture. Don't deny His name. Patiently endure and be welcoming to all. And I believe He will open a door that no one will be able to shut. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning.